two immoral and greedy brothers had gotten rich by inappropriate means and used their money to hide their ways from the public eye. They attended church, the same church, and appeared to be perfect Christians. A new pastor was hired at their church who saw right through the brothers' deception. This pastor was authentic and honest, and as the church started to grow in numbers, they needed more space, and so a fundraising campaign was started to add more space. Well, one of the greedy brothers died, and the surviving brother sought out the new pastor the day before the funeral and held out a check to him made out to the church for the amount needed to finish paying for the new building. I have only one condition, said the protective brother. At his funeral, you must say, my brother was a saint. The pastor gave his word and took the check, took it right to the bank and deposited it. The next day at the funeral, this honest pastor did not hold back. He was an evil man, he said. He cheated on his wife, he abused his family, and the pastor went on like this for some time, and the surviving brother was clearly fuming in his seat. And the pastor then concluded his comments by saying, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> Do you ever wonder what will be said at your own funeral? Do you wonder whether your secrets will be exposed? Do you wonder whether they already are exposed? Google has a new product called Google Glass. It's a miniature computer that you wear on special glasses, and the computer um, projects then onto the glasses, and then you can see things like um, if you want to tell it to take a picture or tell it to take a video, it can do that. Or you can set your GPS and say, I want to go so-and-so, and it can put, give you the directions that you need to go. Well, to some, this sounds great. To others, it's a big privacy issue because not only does, does it tell you things, but it actually reads your eye movements, and it tells Google things, maybe things that you don't want Google to know because it... You know, so our eye movements, eye movements sometimes are so self I mean, subconscious. We don't even think about it. So Google might be able to tell then whether we're lying about something. Or it might um, look down and read our pin that we type in on the ATM. Or it might, you know, we see somebody take out their credit card at a store and it gathers that the whole 16-digit number. And a hacker then could use that information and do terrible things with it. So... Secrets. Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus to his home. And Simon didn't do the usual hospitable things like offering Jesus a kiss of welcome or washing his feet or anointing his head with oil in days when people did not shampoo their hair daily with L'Oreal. Simon did, however, have some private thoughts about Jesus when someone else usurped his role of hospitality and did these things instead. And that someone else was a woman in the city, 
wink, wink. Who was a sinner, wink, wink. And we can figure out what that means. Her reputation precedes her. Like Diane said, we don't know what her sins were, but obviously they were known to the people there. Do you think she knew she was a sinful person? I think she must have. And she probably knew what people thought of her. And yet she doesn't let her concern about her reputation stop her from offering unique acts of hospitality and even worship to Jesus. Now one way people ate in Jesus' day, and probably the way they were eating this way, was around a U-shaped table, and they would um, lie down on their side and prop themselves on one arm and then eat with the other. And so you can see then how the legs, her, Jesus' legs would have been behind him, and so then the woman could have come up behind him. And she was crying so gratefully. Can you imagine? Do you ever have such happy tears? You're so thankful to see someone that you haven't seen in forever, or you're, someone gives you a gift that touches you deeply. And she, so she's crying with thankfulness. We can picture this. We can picture her weeping. Again, we don't know why she's weeping. The fact that she is a woman in the city who is a sinner gives us a clue. Her sin is known not just to her but to others. And so is she crying too because she's aggrieved about what she's done? Is she weeping because she already has experienced a certain freedom that Jesus offers, a release from the sins that had bound her so tightly? Jan Holton says, whatever draws her to Jesus must be stronger than what threatens to expose her. Even Simon's snide mutterings cannot deter her. Imagine the courage that it takes to walk into the center of ridicule to express her love and her gratitude for Jesus. Before Jesus has even said a word to her, the tears tell us that something has happened. She already knows the power of his love and acceptance, and it's an overwhelming moment of gratitude and freedom. Sin impedes freedom. We might think about sin as a rope knotted around our wrist, and every time we try to break free, we end up tightening the knot. The guilt and shame that result from sin do the same thing. Many years ago, some girls in a college dorm had the problem of what to do when they wanted to turn down a date with someone they didn't want to go out with. And to solve the problem, or to help solve it, one of the girls wrote a list of ten handy excuses and tacked them up next to the phone in the hall. Well, before cell phones. And it worked pretty well for most of them, though one time a girl got flustered and said to the caller, I'd love to go out with you, Tom, but I can't because of number seven. <laughs> no. The knot just got tighter. And when sin adds upon sin, it's as if the rope that 
has bound us already starts growing tentacles that attach to other parts of our body and begin pulling us in on ourselves. And we can become very private people, perhaps even depressed. We seek release through medication or risky behavior or alcohol, or we don't seek release at all. I wonder, as, we, as the events of the week unfolded from the big crash that occurred on 581 this week, that there was an erratic car that apparently then clipped a truck, and when he was arrested, he may be charged with driving under the influence. And I wonder then what, maybe there was a shame that he was trying to escape by drinking alcohol. And then how many people that affected killing two people and affecting grief then in all of those families, injuring others, even keeping others away from home, seeing their families in the time that they were stuck in traffic. And then there were, were there fires in other parts of the city where the fire to, firemen and women had to be at that particular event instead of somewhere else. When Jesus becomes aware of Simon's judgmental thoughts, he tells Simon a story. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. 500 versus 50. When neither of them could pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? It calls us to think about what our outstanding debts are. They may be financial, like in the story, Jesus' story, or they may be more personal. Maybe you intentionally hurt someone and now you want to apologize, but you don't know how to ask for forgiveness and get that debt canceled. Maybe someone hurt you and you want to cancel that debt, but you feel ashamed because you really don't want to forgive them. Maybe something happened in your childhood that you've never worked through. Some of our debts really are impossible to repay. When I was changing my first child's diapers, I thought, oh my gosh, my parents did this for me. And I felt grateful. <laughs> and then consider all the times that we sassed our parents, all the clothes that they bought us, the hours of lost sleep, we can't ever repay our parents for the sacrifices they made for us. Never. In the story, Jesus says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. I think our parents do that as well, most of them. Now, which of them will love him more? I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt, Simon said. And Jesus said, you got it right. And then he turns toward the woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of welcome, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. Henry Henry Ingram has struggled with forgiveness. In February of 1998, Ingram filed a deed restriction with the Jasper County Courthouse in South Carolina. And this legal move placed restraints on the sale of his plantation, which was over 1,600 acres. And so with those restrictions, nobody living north of the Mason-Dixon line can buy his property. No Yankees. Nor can anyone with the name of Sherman buy his property. General Sherman, who burned every building on that property during the war. And so even though the Civil War ended in 1865, this man is still resentful over a century later. Resentment chains us to the past. But forgiveness sets us free to enjoy the present. Now on the other hand, a different man was awakened in the middle of the night by a phone call. And on the other end of the line was a frantic, sobbing girl who managed to get out the words, Daddy, I'm pregnant. And he was groggy and stunned by what he heard, but he communicated his forgiveness and he prayed with her. And the next day, he and his wife both wrote letters of counsel and love to their daughter and mailed it. And then the man received another phone call. His daughter was shocked by the letters because she was not the one who had called. Some other distraught girl had dialed the wrong number. And yet the letters that they wrote were not wasted. Their expressions of unconditional love and forgiveness are now a treasured possession to this young woman. So here are a few excerpts from her dad's letter. Though I weep inside, I can't condemn you because I sin too. Your transgression is no worse than mine. It's just different. It all comes from the same sin package you inherited through us. We're praying much. We love you more than I can say and respect you too, as always. Remember, God's love is in even this, maybe especially in this. We're looking forward to your being at home. Love, Dad. The unnamed woman in the city who was a sinner realized the freedom that Jesus already had given her. And perhaps oddly for those of us living in the post-crucifixion and post-resurrection days, Jesus didn't even have to be crucified and resurrected for her to realize and to experience on the deepest level the salvation that he had provided. It touched her so deeply that she was brought to tears And while we might be a little grossed out by someone's tears falling on our feet and having somebody dry them with their hair, Jesus understood her. He understood her need, and he understood her thankfulness. He also understood the pain and joy from which these tears came. Your sins are forgiven, he said to the woman. Your faith is has saved you. Go in peace. 
whatever faith we have, be it tiny or be it broad, our faith saves us from shame, from guilt, from turning in on ourselves. Jesus calls us out to be honest with who we are and to love each other in spite of our flaws and maybe even because of them. To us, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Holy One, thank you for being our friend. Thank you for loving us in spite of and because of who we are. Help us to love others as well. Amen.